Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. This is Joshua Michael. This is my best friend in the whole world, Colin. We had a little bit of technical difficulty in the beginning of this, so you're going to get cut right into some odd conversation. Behind Kenny, uh, visibly upset, and we don't know what the hell they were fucking saying, so that pissed me off. Uh, but hey, at least we, you know, they, they do their best to put as much content as possible, because they do the picture-in-picture picture for, uh, for the commercial sometimes. Oh, I love that, dude. That's a very SmackDown thing. Except for when someone's talking, so you don't you don't get to hear what they're saying yeah. when they're doing that. Yeah, uh, get that's what are they what are they pushing on that channel? On, like what 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 are the products that they're pushing uh, through advertising? I'm glad you asked that because it seems like every time they they push something, I end up buying it. Like man, <laughs> uh, I remember like like week three or four they were like showing all these non-stop commercials for like taco bell nacho box and like i immediately bought one the next day and then uh for lunch uh last thursday i went and got the uh, the popeyes uh eight shrimp inside thing because i was like i love popeyes i'm hey you know, but i'm just a sucker for that sort of food but they're they push a lot of that um but man i guess i'm just usually hungry when i'm watching aw but <laughs> man i yeah i always I don't know. We'll talk about that some more after I've actually got to sit down and, and run with it. Yeah. But uh, I really, I, re- I was always kind of, oh, you know, I don't, oh, man, really? Like, seeing the seeing WWE pushing, okay, it's Snickers or whatever, or uh, Cricket Wireless or something like that, who yeah. they have a contract with. And I'm going, I just remember seeing several years ago, I don't have any idea who it was, but it was legit Spanish language McDonald's commercial with a luchador in it, and the guy comes in, and the little uh, Mexican kid—I don't know—is uh, <laughs> like, "Oh my God, it's that guy!" Like he's super excited, and um, I mean, I just—you know—I'm not trying to just like pull it, but anyway, whatever. But like, the dude comes in and he gets his food, and he's wearing his mask and everything, and I was like. I'm just this is this is impressive. This is saying something to an entire economic group in the United States that we're respecting the fact that you exist. And I feel like yeah, you can have Chris Paul again mentioned second time in this con- in this uh in this podcast like doing uh insurance commercials which can we start doing those commercials in Oklahoma, please? That's where he is. No, they're going to fly him out to L.A. or Atlanta or whatever. And um, Or you can have, you know, football guys, and you can have... Uh, do you ever see commercials that feature hockey players? No. I mean, they're, no. they're pitching those in markets where hockey is hot. And so, you know, you get wrestlers are only being pitched in in contract commercials during the show. So they're almost bumpers. And I'm going, well, maybe nobody knows who Seamus is outside of people who watch wrestling or 
for that matter, I don't know, uh, The Miz. I, whatever. But, like... <laughs> I, I get what you mean. Cause... I guarantee you put some of these guys... You, you, if you want to seem like a legit thing, start having these... I mean, Macho Man Randy Savage pushing Slim Jims during G.I. Joe at 3.30 p.m. on a weekday. We knew who the heck that guy was. And I'm just going... Everybody knows a wrestler when you see them. There's a there's a look, whether it's a costume or not. So, <laughs> if you want it's it's uh, give me give me Finn Balor, get me Kenny Omega. I'm ready to. I want to see these guys pushing regular products. I cannot believe that Quick Trip, which is a regional, it's a massive region, but it is a regional gas station and convenience store, uh, is they've got Chuck Norris as their pitch man right now. God, I love Chuck Norris. I, I Have still... you seen any of those commercials? Yeah, I, I, it always just makes me think about how much I regret not being old enough to buy a, like a large like stockpile of Chuck Norris action jeans from the nineties. Oh seen... wow! And uh, those were sold out of Oklahoma, by the way. <clears throat> really? Yeah the uh, the mail in slip for it was straight to like, the <laughs> warehouse in Oklahoma. But they were like jeans. Lawtoned. <laughs> there were jeans that had like spandex in like the crotch kicking areas, so it wouldn't like confine That's rad. you. Yeah, and yeah. I would kill for a pair of Chuck Norris action jeans because they were boot cut. I'd buy a pair of boots. I don't give a shit. <laughs> just just to make it look good. Uh, every time I, I have st- one pair of boots that I could fight in, and my other pair of boots, they're way too stiff and awesome. And you remember that time? That you and I were at that one chick's house, who I'm not going to mention, who was your girlfriend at the time, not just, hey, blah, 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 it was a chick, uh, and we were, we were wrestling, and um, I don't know what happened, but I had a broken foot. Yeah, I can't fit into those boots very well because of that. <laughs> My foot is permanently disfigured. Yeah, I, uh, I broke your foot that <laughs> night. <laughs> probably. I don't think I you probably broke my foot. I think I broke my foot on you. <laughs> that was a crazy night, man. I remember, like, you just wanted to fight and you wanted to wrestle, and and then you pushed me too far, and I said, "Fuck it, I'll wrestle you." And all of a sudden, I started remembering high school wrestling moves, and I folded your ass up and dropped you. <laughs> Dude, I hit the ground hard. I was surprised I didn't lose my win, and then you... something happened, and because you outweighed me just by I don't know, I don't know what you outweighed me by, but you are a different I'm type of density I'm what are we like oh you, so you've got like uh maybe you had 20 pounds on me I'm but like we're about the same height right yeah, so yeah. like i'm six three okay there you go so like yeah i just remember like anytime i've ever ty- tried to use taekwondo on anybody who outweighed me I pretty <laughs> it never much, worked. It never worked. <laughs> like you either have to do it to really hurt them and stop the fight, or because there's no playing around. Yeah. Like you're going for the soft spots. You're trying to break somebody's nose. You're trying to like gouge out an eye. Otherwise, there's no point. <laughs> you... It's like Krav Maga. There's no play fighting in Krav Maga. Forget it. It's just. So, like, I just remember going up after you with something, and instead of, like, I'm going to deliver this attack, I got the attack hit you, but all of the force was bounced back into me, so I, like, flew back into a wall and slid down it. No, I was, like, like, I like, was a little bit more sober. What happened was, was <laughs> I was uh, trying to get you off of me, and you crossed the line, and I just kicked you in the sternum, and you flew back, 
and we okay. were, we were both standing up at the same time, and then you just fucking swung at me and hit me right between the eyes, a little bit, <laughs> like an inch in between, like between the middle of my eyebrows, a little bit higher, and right there, and you're like, oh my god, I'm sorry, I'm like, dude, it's cool, and you're like, dude, I just, I just punched you in the face, <laughs> I was like... We're good. <laughs> I remember you, thinking, you hit like, me oh hard. Oh my god! I just punched my best friend. Why did I do that? That's terrible. Yeah, I just remember thinking like, "Wow, that really hurt." And then I just like, oh, I'm, I'm still standing up. And then, and then uh, she was like, "Oh my god!" And you're like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "Don't worry about it. We're cool." I just think we should probably go to bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was good. you know that the, was a good time. It was this, actually a good yeah. time. I remember her like trying to like. Beat, she's like clung to my leg because it was a three-way match yeah and she's like attacking my leg and i don't know if she was biting me or what the hell but at some point or another i think i i think i open-handed like slapped her with a back fist <laughs> and she, I didn't even phase her she was she was a badass in that moment she uh, was a badass. yeah but she was training in jujitsu she wasn't a badass and oh shit. was she <laughs> she was in the badass and shit, and she went out and got her rickety old fucking revolver, and just like all of a sudden she's handing me a gun, and I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I don't remember that part. And I'm yeah. glad I don't. Yeah, she handed me a fucking like old ass revolver. It was unloaded, but at the same time though, why did you go get this? <laughs> I, 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 Were you gonna pistol whip me? I don't understand. I, I, I don't know. I, I, but anyway, I, I remember <laughs> you guys were duking it out, and I went and put it up, and I was like. Why the fuck did this bitch go get a fucking gun, an unloaded gun? But yeah, that, that was that was uh, that was That's intense. Was that I'm after? Glad I don't recall that. Was that after we got back from WrestleMania, or is that for? That was before. That was when you guys were turning me on to the concept of. We're going to go to Supercard, and these are all the things you need to know. Oh, yeah. That's what and happened. I was like, That's what happened. I don't we, not know these guys already. We were showing you all the New Japan stuff that you needed to know in Ring of Honor. I think we made you watch probably like three hours of New Japan and uh, and uh, Ring of Honor and a couple things in, from Impact. And then, uh, mm-hmm. then we turned on WWE, and uh, I remember you were like, man, Randy Orton's awesome. And I'm like, man, that guy's a fucking... Uh, He's, a, a, oh, he's yeah. a military deserter. And she's like, fuck him. Fuck that guy. She was so pissed off. She had no idea. I was like, yeah, yeah, like, he, yeah, he did that shit, but whatever. But It's true, yeah. I've since gone in and read all about it. And, uh, yeah, the, he's, a, he's a thug. I did not <laughs> realize in, until you were talking to me today about it, and I feel like kind of dummy, but, like, you were saying that the Paul Heyman stuff that you were listening to was Oh, saying, that's right. That uh, Brock Lesnar just shot on Undertaker, and that was just he decided he was going to win, and they. I yeah, I don't know. I've got to find this again. You got to find it, it again. Uh, it was just like when you're when you're on your phone and Facebook is like, hey, you should watch this video or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I can come up with it. Maybe I could suggest a link for people because I don't know what the what what the event was, but he was on stage and he was talking to people. Uh, very upscale situation, and he was talking about how um, the uh, the yeah the what was it WrestleMania? Uh, yeah, I think it, it had to be. Yeah, it was a WrestleMania. We were talking about when yeah. Taker like, like Brock Lesnar breaking the Undertaker streak yep. because he didn't want to lose, and he thought maybe I can pull this off and get away with it, and I definitely know I could defeat the guy. That's not a problem because he doesn't even see it coming, and. He, you've got Paul Heyman, who is the advocate, 
for Brock Lesnar saying, I'm, I, you know, this is what happened. And I know what happened, and this guy knows what happens, and this guy, Vince McMahon knows what happens, and what happened and whatever. And this is like, that's, that's why the taker went to the hospital, because he got injured, not because, you know, Brock Lesnar went off script. And uh, that that's how people get hurt. That's it's very difficult for me to respect a guy who already is just this this guy they keep feeding wins, and then it's also difficult. I, I can't respect Brock Lesnar if you're going to go off script in a way that's going to hurt somebody. Dude, because I, simultaneously, I, I, sorry, I, I just I I can't respect that guy. Uh, si- but, but I'm sorry. Simultaneously, what? I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, simultaneously. Earlier last week, I see this amazing video of uh, a Royal Rumble, or an amazing video of Cody, Cody Rhodes, talking about being in WWE and going to his first uh, Royal Rumble. And he comes out, he's saying like, oh, I I got, um, CM Punk pulls me out backstage, and he's like, what do you want to do? I'm going out earlier than you are. And uh, he's like, I don't know. And he's like, this is your first rumble. Like you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. You got to go out there and you got to know, like where things gonna fit in the timeline. And he he he's like, I, I don't know. So he 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 figures out. And he's like, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna find you and we're gonna do this and you're gonna do this and blah 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 and then whatever and then we'll break. And he's like, okay, fine. At least there's something. So he he went out and you know it takes however long it takes. This is Madison Square Garden. And I don't want to retell this necessarily. I implore people to get out there and find this. Because Cody Rhodes, by his own telling, this is a class act situation for him and for The Undertaker. So he goes out there and it takes however long it takes for him to get down to the stage. and uh, Or not the stage, to the ring. And um, he's like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like... It's New York, and I'm a like soft underdog type. They're gonna blow me off, or they're gonna hate me. Uh, but it's not gonna be good, whatever it is. So he gets down there, and he goes in, and he does the whole bit with Punk, and then he's like, "Oh my God, that was ten seconds. What do I do now?" So he goes in, and he sees he sees Undertaker taking down two guys in like the corner at the turnbuckle, and he's like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna go after the Undertaker. Why the hell not?" <laughs> Why he not? Sees, he is still on camera. And he's like, oh my God, like this is it. Well, I haven't been booed out of here, so I got to try it. So he goes after Taker and he hits him from behind the hardest he's ever hit anybody before. And Taker reacts to it in that slow turn and look at him and does the choke. And Ooh, then like... Choke slam, baby. He picks him up. And so, of course... This is Cody Rhodes' gold dust. Or Stardust, rather. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, Stardust. Stardust. And he's, like, kicking him in the shin and going after him and doing all the stuff he's supposed to do. And, like, holding his hands up like, oh, my God, I know I'm the bad guy. I know I'm the bad guy because you're the bad guy. But I'm the bad guy because I attacked you. And uh, so he gets slammed. And he's like, oh, that's it. That's it. Like, I should be out now. And then Taker whispers to him, like, "Do a drop kick me. Nice. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like... <laughs> He to just it. took a bump from me, yeah. and now he's trying to, like, sell me. And, I, oh, my God, it's such a great story. And, look, yeah, folks, get online. Look for Paul Heyman 
talking about Brock Lesnar going after The Undertaker and then get online and look up Cody Rhodes talking about Royal Rumble versus The Undertaker. Two complete opposite stories about the kind of treatment you give to a living legend the Undertaker. Okay, you, you, you gotta like, be you gotta be a little bit more specific of what we're looking for. And Paul Heyman talking about the streak being broken because there's a, like a million. Oh, that's videos. a good point. Is he like in a in an auditorium? Yeah. Is he sitting down with somebody? Uh, or is he's it like sitting an down group? on stage talking to a crowd that looked like they were well dressed? It could have been an. It could have been a. Is, been a, uh, is everything all black? A Hall of Fame a, induction. Is everything I'm not all, sure. Is everything really black? And there's a screen behind them. Yes. Okay, so that was the that was the interview that he really started that out where he started shitting on uh Dean Ambrose uh, uh disrespecting really? Stone Cold at the uh at the uh the Stone Cold podcast uh that uh when when he was the heavyweight champion he went out to get interviewed by Stone Cold and he just seemed like completely just not happy to be there and um <clears throat> Heyman was talking about how uh uh Ambrose uh John aka John Moxley uh, pretty much lost his push because of that sort of disrespect. Yeah, that's I know exactly what you're talking about. So, uh, guys, okay. guys, uh, trust me, you're gonna know what I'm talking about when you look for it. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, I, for some reason, thought to think to make it a little bit more specific. I know. Uh, let me let me go in for let me let me. Like, hey, minefielders, listen seriously. I know that I I've talked to some of my buddies who are not wrestling fans. And I've talked to them about our podcast, the Minefields Comics Podcast. And you're listening to it now. And I'm, I'm telling you that whether you're into wrestling or not, and you came here to listen to comics, this is still going to be a comics podcast. But what I'm telling you right now is that whether you're into comics or wrestling or both or neither or whatever you're here for, Check these videos out. It's seven minutes or it's five minutes. And you're going to understand in moments like the difference in how you treat people. The difference in how you convey a story. And the difference in narrative. Like one way or another, what we're getting at with this podcast at its most basic is probably our respect for the concept of narrative. Whether it's wrestling and live live performance or whether it's written word. You know we talk about games. We talk about movies. We talk about shows. We talk about stand-up comics. We are all over the concept. However it's done. Even if it's music. I mean, the narrative. I think that's at our core what we're most fascinated with outside of the concept of journalism. So, if you're not into it. Look it up anyways and, and just be like, you're going to learn a lot real fast about the type of people that are in these, in these industries, checking out these short videos. Agreed. And I, I love seeing those candid interviews when they, when, <clears throat> not when they're shooting. Yeah, they're, 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 they're speaking the truth, but they're not shit talking shooting. But when they're, yeah. when Cody's talking about something that was heartfelt to him and yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be telling literally everyone, uh, this story about Undertaker deciding to like, hey, Excuse you know, me. go ahead and you know, drop kick me. <laughs> probably, probably, okay. one of, probably one of the best moments of his life. <laughs> I found it, and I'm trying not to accidentally broadcast it. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, Paul Heyman. It's a. Uh, if you look up Paul Heyman Undertaker, 
on the uh, video section of Facebook. This is going to pop up because it, it came out on January 13. So it's got a million views right now. Anyway, we should press on. We should press on. Let's do some comics. Uh, I really want to do, do comics. I really want to do uh, uh, Ice Cream Man right away. Okay, cool. Did we talk about what we were doing? Yeah. What issues we're doing? Yeah. I lost it. No, I'll it was be, a long time ago. I'll redo it. Ice Cream Man number 17, Flash number 88, Nebula number 1, Iron Man 2020 number 2, Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme number 3, Jessica Jones number 3, Gwen Stacy number 1, and Marvel's number 2. But Ice Cream Man is actually about a month old, and I just recently was able to get to it. Number 17. It's actually okay. labeled Confection Comics, Ice Cream Man. And this <laughs> is written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo, colors by Chris O'Halloran, lettering by Good Old Neon, cover A by Morazzo and O'Halloran, cover B, Michael Walsh, designed by Good Old Neon. This is, if you uh, take a look, and I actually posted on uh, the Minefields Instagram and Facebook uh, the list of the comics that we're going to be going over. It's, it's a parody cover of Action Comics number one, where the Ice Cream Man is basically Superman uh, you know, destroying the the ice cream truck as opposed to the old that old car. This episode, this issue was fascinating because the ice cream man, and it took a it took a while for uh, Maxwell Prince W. Maxwell Prince to really go into what the ice cream man is. We really don't know hardly anything about him because everything is very abstract. Everything is very uh, multiversal in terms of like where is this happening. Because this issue is, what if the Ice Cream Man was Superman? And, okay. And the Ice Cream Man eventually was revealed to be a very nefarious person, uh, or creature, or some sort of anthropomorphic type, uh, infinite type powers. He seems to be able to do whatever he wants to do, but as, as, an evil, as an evildoer. And knowing that, it took a while to really develop that, because obviously, you know, he seems really nefarious. But he's Superman in this, as the Ice Cream Man, and he's in a, a, a version of Metropolis, and they're trying to sell newspapers, and Lois Lane is, is uh, there's a Lois Lane character that basically figures out that he's the uh, the new guy that works at the paper, and all these, they, they, they mention, and the, the existential point that really sticks out to this was the fact that once the Ice Cream Man showed up out of nowhere as their, their superhero savior... Is that all of a sudden all these bad guys started showing up? It was like uh-huh. everything showed up at the same time, and they, they've touched this, touched on this in many uh, different narratives, whether in movies like if you want to talk about uh, the um, uh, what what Bill was telling B at the end of uh, Kill Bill Two, uh, his breakdown of Superman. It, it it's similar to like the in the same different subject, same parallel. About these, okay. these, this Superman shows up, and all of a sudden, these bad guys show up. Uh, he wants to prove to her that he's a good guy, so he takes her, he takes her to her his fortress of solitude. And when she gets there, uh, it's it's something that only the readers of Ice Cream Man would understand. Is that you know how Superman and Batman have all these relics, you know, from past battles. Um, you know, he's Batman's got the penny, the Tyrannosaurus. Superman has different uh, technologies. Yeah. He's got that planet and the that 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 city in a in a in a bottle. Uh, well, oh yeah, Candor, city Candor. Yeah, well, the relics in in his little uh, he's his isolation isolation palace in the Arctic Circle are all things that stood out in past issues of 
ice cream man as something that caused someone's terrible death and and was or was responsible for uh, something really awful happening and he even shows her this uh, breed of uh, animals that he, the last of their species that they they were made to be delicious and that they want you to eat them that that's their whole purpose of the species they and <laughs> she's hammering out her story and uh, she's, she starts wandering around and starts realizing that she's not in the right spot. And she gets served dinner, called the dinner. And the, this so-called delicious creature that wants to be eaten uh, is screaming at her, Lady, you gotta help me. <laughs> it's genocide. <laughs> and Ice Cream Man's like, oh, her meal's a little undercooked. <laughs> Get it out of here. Get her something new. And uh, she stumbles upon, you know, his... his Right before she gets to the master plan, and she she feels she's about to die, and she wakes up three years later from a coma, and Ice Cream Man has everything to do with the way the world is being sculpted, and the epilogue was a Bruce um, a Bruce Wayne type thing where <laughs> this kid is going leaving the uh, you know the theater with his with his uh, family. And uh, the ice yeah. the ice cream man is the Joe Chill that that murders his family and he, he becomes the, the Batman in the future and it it was there's a lot of different things that stick out in this because it's not that they don't make sense it's that they just don't belong there uh, I I can hmm. if you followed Ice Cream Man you would understand that things are going to be out of place and they're there to make you think. They're there to challenge you. I'm sure there's some things there, like 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 Dadaist art. Like I would really describe this oh, as, yeah. as Dadaist art. Like like you would, okay, it's a urinal. <laughs> yep. But why is it a urinal? And like, or why is it art? And but at the same time, though, uh, if you have any experience with Dadaist art, you know that I... a lot of these people are, are bullshitters, and <laughs> it, they're, they're bullshitters. Yep. So it's it's like a tongue in cheek joke. Where there'll be something that doesn't belong there, but why does it? Why does it not belong there? Did they? Did Maxwell W. Maxwell Prince just put that there to fuck with us? Yes, yes, he did. And the fact that it's there is somewhere in the same wavelength of how the comic is going. However, I know he's fucking with us. He's, but he's having a lot of fun doing it. And every single issue of the Ice Cream Man has been uh, a, a ten out of ten. Like there hasn't been one issue where it didn't grasp me. And maybe sad that it that it's over, and it's oh, man. It, that, that's that's the best. I guess that's the the best high praise I could really give to it without being like, dude, it was so cool. There's all this action, and Ice Cream Man <laughs> was like doing this cool thing, and he's got that. No, 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 no. It's uh, th- this is I I would classify this as one of maybe like the ten or fifteen comic books that are on the shelves right now uh, that are being published um, <laughs> published that is, is actually high art. Can you do uh, a breakdown of the Ice Cream Man comic series as told by Michael Pena's character from Ant-Man? <laughs> just like I just did? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was pretty rad. <laughs> uh, let me think. Can I do Michael Pena? 
Uh, I can't. I can't do his. I don't know if I can do his accent. I can do like one accent, Ming, but like it's like not really. Like Maine? it's like it's not really like one of those things that really sounds like Michael Pena. But like I'm telling you that like the ice cream man, he's like from this like different world, and there's this like cowboy that like wants to fight him all the time, and it's like his like antithesis, like a fucking yin yang and shit. And then like it's in one episode these fucking heroin addicts like die, and then all of a sudden you don't forget about them, and there's this guy that's like. Fuck, man, like, this music is making me feel so good, and, like, it's, like, fueling this, like, <laughs> this this alien space line that feeds off music, and then, like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty, uh, inclusive. Way to go. Sorry. Sorry, but you, you, you antagonized me. <laughs> I antagonized you. <laughs> How dare you do that to me? Say that again, though, but what, uh, what company, pr- uh, published Image. This is all Image. Image. Um, again, ice cream number seventeen. Um, every single issue is worth it. I really, I don't like the style of how graphic novels are coming out right now, where it's like every five issues or every four issues or barely yeah. six issues. Like they're they're doing that like with the Hulk right now. I remember when I was because I've got a lot of the, I've got almost all of the uh, Immortal Hulk, but there's yeah. like a little chunk or two, and I'm like, well, I just need this like little chunk. I was like, wait a minute, like I gotta buy two just for like one story. And that's fifteen dollars. That's bullshit. Like <laughs> uh, the the way they're breaking it down to in small graphic novels, it it I don't like it. But uh, let's move on. What do you guys? True. I can't remember the last time I actually bought a graph. Well, I want twelve I issues. A- give me like give me my twenty bucks worth. Twenty bucks equals we, we, twelve issues. You know, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, we were gonna do the uh, the Robotech, the new Robotech comic, and we we just ran out of time. We just flat out that that barely ever happens. It's four issues. It's a it's a twenty dollar comic book, uh, a trade paperback collection, four issues. And I remember reading it and going, "Is there additional content? Not really. There's a whole lot of like, you know, creators' comments and not exactly letters pages and stuff. But like, at a certain point, I looked at it and I was just like." Where do you get off charging this much for this? It's and then I've seen other, like I've seen, I have issue, I have the first gra- first trade of it. I've seen the third or fourth trade of it, but I haven't seen the second trade anywhere. And I'm like, I'm not gonna. I I could do better just buying back issues somewhere. Ag- I don't know. Agreed. It just that's frustrating. Agreed. But that's also Harmony Gold, who has the license for Robotech. They are a money grubbing bunch of villains it turns out despite the fact that they own a content that i adore it's at a certain point difficult to justify well speaking of uh (laughs) villains that's difficult to justify let's just do nebula that one was (laughs) that was rough yeah i did read that one this comic was it had me by the balls man this was a this was a roller coaster fun ass comic book I, I love the art, uh, a little bit simplistic, um, good modeling. It was simplistic. Yeah, it was simplistic, good modeling. It wasn't, like, too overly, like, if you look at, like, the latest issue of X-Men, like, there's, man, there's some crazy detail into it, but every now and then I don't want that. And... I, I, I mean, it, this was detailed enough that it's, that it's, it delivers on the, it delivers the promise of the premise. We're in alien environments, we're this, there's high tech mixed with whatever it takes to survive in this place and like lived in spaces and stuff like that. 
Well, even the cover alone, uh, the cover alone, like the the style that they like painted it in, reminds me of yeah. like those uh, Terminator comics from the the Now series back in the early nineties. Like it, it, <laughs> it's it, funny you brought that up. Yeah, it it, it, it totally reminds me of that. Oh, sorry. And uh, even the artwork has a, a little fun little bit of a throwback to it. But mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this comic book. Like, wait, you know, bully for you. Good job, guys. Kick ass. Like, uh, don't stop. Please don't make this be a five issue series. If if anything, give me twelve or give us twelve. I know it's so disappointing after Yondu. That I really, I really liked Yondu. I loved that five issue book, and it was maybe you. doing six is just extending it too far, or adding a lot more ads, or some other type of like creator content. Rarely do I get to the back of the book and go, "Oh, cool! Now I want to read the script of what I just wrote," or do I get back there and need uh, a pinup page of like. Here's concept art or something like that. I'm like, I don't want to pay for that. I want the story. I'm not going to lie. There are some books that I'm just like, I'm just reading it and reading it and reading it. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, this one, this is dense. There's a lot of material. It's only like 24 story. pages long. Uh, we're talking uh, Nebula number one, uh, which is yeah. Upgrade Part 1. Uh, Vita Ayala, writer, Claire Rose, artist. Mike Spencer, colorist, species translanum, letterer, uh, and Jen Bartel, cover artist. Yeah, <clears throat> tell me what you thought about it because I have a, I have a a, a, a beef with it. That's not really that didn't cause me to not enjoy it, but I want to know what you thought. Um, authentically, I'm still. It's not as if these characters can't change their appearances. But we're still living under the auspices of the Marvel Cinematic Universe dominates the look of the comics because we don't want to we don't want people who don't read books all the time deciding to go buy comic books and then they can't identify with the character right. because Star Lord isn't wearing exactly that mask or that uniform or whatever. That's a so shitty part Nebula of it. looks yeah. Nebula looks like Nebula from the movies. Uh, they did not like make her bust-tastic as she would have been portrayed in the 90s. Bust-tastic. Uh, as she was portrayed in the 90s. That was kind of... I'm like, okay, cool. That's, I, I appreciate that. Let's, let's give her the, uh, the look she has in the movies. Um, it's kind of fascinating. She has... What, what is the MacGuffin in here? It's like it's a... It's a uh, a probability control device that she wants to insert into her so that then she can ascertain what the best possible outcome is to any given situation and it's a little overwhelming for her. It was rad because she was she was a bad guy in this. She is the bad guy and they've done so much in the MCU to humanize her and rein her in and bring her back to some sort of I'm going to say humanity. And that's, it's awesome because we see this stretch out over like three, four movies. That's a story arc. Like, it's really difficult for me to, somebody was complaining the other day, a buddy of mine, about Rise of Skywalker and uh, Carrie Russell's character in that, what, Zayna or Zaya or whatever. And like, I I liked the character. It was cool. 
and then it's this character who shows up and is like, I'm a badass, and I'm going to fight everybody, and then Ray takes me down, and I'm just going to switch my decision to, I like you, because you got a lightsaber in my throat, or because you're a woman and you beat me up, or what is the reason behind that? In the end, it was still just one of these things where it's like, okay, well, we're just switching the polarity on who this character is. They didn't do that. Nebula is a bad guy. They didn't switch her polarity in one issue like they switched that character in Star Wars in one movie. You know? There is a story arc. It took Nebula a long a time. Pirate. Long time for Oh, them to gosh. Do that. Yeah. 1990? Earlier than that. The original Infinity Gauntlet. If you haven't read the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline, Nebula is the one that gets the gauntlet off of Thanos. And for a brief moment, she is all-powerful. Yeah. And she can't handle it. Well, the the best part about that was for the entire time, she was, like, being torn apart at the atomic level, like a fucking uh-huh. lava lamp, uh, through most of it <laughs> and being tortured. That, that was... That was one of the, well, it was a very Jim parts. Starlin concept to try to pull that off. I mean, that was fascinating, because back then, trying to do anything that was surrealism in comics was... It's a complicated art form, and you can it either works really, really well, or it looks silly. And, like, massive loads of issues of uh, Captain Marvel are hit or miss on that note. Like, oh, you know, hey, I'm in the negative zone, and it's wacky, and there's, like... I don't know, gigantic hands or something like that. Not everything can be Silver Surfer Black, okay? I wish. That that was legit. One of the best and things happened. You guys heard here. us commenting on that for a while. But uh, not even can, everything can be Chris Piccolo, you know, in Doctor Strange over the last couple of years. But like this this book in particular is fascinating. It is It is presented with appealing, identifiable... Uh, civilian aliens who are under the threat of Nebula killing them if they if the scientist character doesn't insert this thing into her, making her a probability control matrix, and uh, threatening the can she handle it? <coughs> threatening the little girl that was that was something else. Yeah. So it, I'll be interested to see where this goes, and hopefully she doesn't like. It's one thing when you're a smuggler with a heart of gold like Yondu or Han Solo. It's quite another thing when you're a vicious space pirate who works for Thanos and has a major beef with Gamora. They never do anything with that in the Guardians books. And that's like a huge part of the plot of the MCU Guardians movies and the Avengers Endgame uh, Infinity War. So yeah, what did you think, man? I talked the hell out of that one. I had a shitload of fun reading this one. This one was one that I really slaved over every single panel. I every nuance I was studying. The <clears throat> the fact that she would threaten the girl. I liked the I liked that fact because it made me feel like she was doing it just because, as if she was getting back at little Gamora. Um, oh wow! Like, 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 I did not see that. Like, nice. like, like as a sister. Like, like if you know, like no, I don't want this little girl growing up to be become someone like Gamora because she reminds me of her. Second off, uh, the fact that at the end she gets amnesia. Ah, uh, don't do that to me again. That is so played out. Oh yeah, that's so played out. You've got every opportunity here to <laughs> hate my novel. <laughs> well, it, it's 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 not that it's played out in in general. I, I'm I mean like I'm a sucker for it in in 
daytime television. Like I loved it when Marlena and Days of Our Lives had Amnesia Forever. But <laughs> it's it's not that. It's the fact that they've done it with Nebula before, and I don't want to see something you've done with Nebula before. That's one of the reasons I bought the goddamn book is because I want to see something <laughs> new with 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 Nebula and. She gets amnesia at the end. You've done that before. I mean, like, we, we've been talking about how we, we need new bad guys. I'm going to get into that with The Flash in, in a little bit. Um, but we also need new tropes. If Gamora's gotten amnesia before, don't do it again in her new book. That like have, I don't think I've ever seen a, Gamor, uh, a Nebula book in my life before. It was individual, just Nebula. And I'm, I'm sure there's like one or two that I'm probably not thinking of right now. But even then... Give her something new. We've got all this new cast of characters. Have some fun. Don't give her goddamn amnesia. Give her, you, you know, at the very least, give her like a, a time bomb that's going to blow up in 24 hours. <laughs> Go the speed route. I don't care. The amnesia thing just bothered me. Like, it just felt like it was a missed opportunity. That's too, yeah, yeah, it's too bad, man. That's too bad. I, get, I appreciate I get, it, though. I do, I do feel like amnesia is a trope, dude. Two mm-hmm. of the... Uh, two of my own personal creations, and my narratives, my my narrative fiction stories are amnesia stories. One of them was handed to me. Hey, I got a concept from a guy that I'm friends with, and then I ran with it and started trying to develop a TV series out of it. And I think the story works. Um, at the same time, the the novel I'm rewriting has a big amnesia plot in it. But when I start to explain it away, it feels like it makes sense. Nevertheless, it's a trope. It is overly used. And I, I think... Tell me. I'm not trying to make an amnesia pun, but I'm having a hard time recalling whether or not... I think another book that we read this week has an amnesia aspect. I could be wrong. Hmm. But I don't remember. I, <clears throat> not a pun. In the end, though, yeah, amnesia is a frustrating, reoccurring situation, and uh, it shows up all too often. What are we doing next? (laughs) Nice segue. Um, (laughs) Let's see here. Let's see here. Hmm. What have I got? Dude, let's, let's really briefly talk about the new Thor. Uh, I know it's not on either of our lists necessarily, but Thor number three, Thor still running around being a herald of Galactus. Um, great concept. Guy being, it's 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 the vampire style. Or I'm sorry, it's not the vampire. It's uh, interview with the vampire. It's a guy that doesn't want to be doing this, who has to do it because, you know, ultimately we're saving the world or saving the universe, and. Uh, I just really appreciated the fact, you know, Beta Ray Bill coming in and and being like, dude, that was I the best exactly part. Who you are? <laughs> yeah, best. it was the best Beta Ray Bill thing I've seen, where you could actually take Bill seriously, and they weren't trying to yuck him up like they did in Annihilators or uh, Guardians, Guardians recently. Yep, and um, because I just I feel like I know we all like. I mean, we all love Taika Waititi. And I know that we love... I love his voice. We love Thor Ragnarok. It's funny. 
and it didn't suck. Jojo Rabbit was great. I don't think that the other two Thor movies suck. I love the other two Thor movies. Thor Ragnarok is my favorite uh, Marvel movie, hands down. Yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. It's awesome. It turns everything on its head, and you can still enjoy it and take it seriously. I just feel like Captain America, Thor, are characters that you can take seriously. I can't take Fat Thor seriously. Oh, yeah. Like, Le- the big Lebowski. Lebowski Thor. <laughs> Lebowski, Lebowski Thor. Thor fighting Thanos. All right. So the only reason why that works is because Cap lifts the hammer. It just, I don't know, dude. I've watched that scene a thousand, thousand times. And I, I even, knew it. even watched a reaction video. And I, and I hate reaction videos. But it was a crowd reaction. It was just like people screaming through the audience so that they could overlay their audio track on the DVD release. You know, and, I, and I'm just like, I remember, I remember. That was freaking badass. It was last year! Yep. It was only last year. Anyway, Thor, like I say... Um, Donny Cates, writer. Nick Klein, yeah. artist. Matt Wilson, color artist. VCs, Joe Sabino, letter and designer. Oliver Copiel and Laura Martin. Cover artists. If you're already reading this, good job. If you're not reading this, number three, check it out. You could start a couple of issues ago. You're not going to spend that much money. If you want to check out one solid bitchin' issue of Thor, get this one. I've got it two is... takeaways from it. Okay, go. Number one, Oliver Copiel did the cover, which yeah. sometimes can be deceptive because he doesn't always do the internal artwork. You open it up, it's not copial work. And Thor's, his Thor is one of my favorite Thors ever, even the action figure they designed off him for uh, the Marvel Legends line. Uh, num- mm-hmm. However, you turn the page, yeah, he's not doing the work, Nick Klein is doing it, and it's awesome. It's kicking ass. It's good work. You see uh, Mjolnir covered in alien blood. Number two, they absolutely utilize Beta Ray Bill the way they absolutely should. Like, exactly what I was talking about with Nebula, that they, they, they took a turn that was just predictable and done before. Beta Ray Bill standing up to a cosmic-powered Odin son with Odin power Thor and not relenting. And... Oh my gosh, no. Not, yeah, totally not relenting. Like... This is happening, brother. I don't give a shit. Like, you're, you're going the wrong way. I'm, I'm standing up for this. And, you know, there's a battle, but it's not like that hokey, okay, we're the Avengers we just met, we're going to duke it out and realize we're going to be best friends and then we're going to go do the mission. That didn't happen. It was a legit fight. It was a legit battle. And Stormbreaker was destroyed. And I was just like, son of a bitch. Like, like, oh, dude, you just spoiled it. Yeah, but even then. But, yeah. Even then, like, that that came at me and I was, it it didn't feel like, yeah, like, you know, it starts like a bitty destroy Stormbreaker. <laughs> like nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Didn't see that coming. And way, way, way to do the character right. And Donny Cates, you always do the characters right. And respond to my goddamn emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit us, Donny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I gotta say, this is this is a kick-ass issue. I didn't even intend for us to talk this long on it. Let's uh, let's progress. It was worth it. Yeah, guys, read this read this book if you're not reading it. Read it. Are you reading it? Let's do Marvels 2. Do it. Okay, story. Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. Script, Jim Kruger. Artist, well be. The fuck? <laughs> what? 
Are we too cool to use our real names now? Um, letterer VCs Corey Pettit cover Alex Ross variant cover will be what will be what? Um, okay this is beautiful this issue I the first issue was like okay slide into the universe of Marvel X and I'm going alright that's a really hard hard open just to a can't very, slide is, in like this you've had to have this, read the old ones you gotta know you gotta know who uh kurt busiak is and mark wade at the very least <laughs> yeah. to understand what's happening here you gotta know what a crump it is <laughs> dude the first page of this book after the credits page is spider-man holding up Elements of the costume of each of his rogues gallery, plus nice. Daily Bugle material, as in issue 33 of Amazing Spider-Man, the one in which he lifts off the uh, generator, changing comics forever, right? simultaneously used, uh, utilized in, the, uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, dude. Dude, when you open a book referencing that moment in Spider-Man and that moment in comics, I'm going to stand up and take it seriously. I'm going to face front Marvelites and uh, scream Excelsior and dive right into this. This page, I would buy this page as a poster. I would buy this page as a print. I would buy this original artwork if I could get it. This is incredible if you haven't seen it. Uh... The character from the previous issue, the little boy who is going to New York to find the heroes and hope to God that they are going to save the Earth, is actually being driven. I swear to God, I thought it was Daredevil because he's wearing a no fear hat, <laughs> no fear hat hair and sunglasses, and I'm like, oh, Daredevil's driving a truck. That's awesome. Like that's radar sense. No, it was freaking Ghost Rider, and it was kind of funny because he was like, does nobody know who the champions are? Like, how do you not know who I am? And there's like signs in the background for Nelson Murdoch and Walters. Interesting. Uh, I so, love that. Yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Why does why is that not a comic that's happening right now? Yeah, it'd be awesome to have uh, like you're gonna get all the lawyer characters in one book. I'd take that. I would read that just for that. I would too. Even though Matt's not practicing law right now. Uh, if you haven't been listening to us yap and yip about Daredevil lately uh for what like six months oh dude no no it's been more it's it's been more like it's been more like wow it's been like eight we haven't i don't think we've missed a daredevil issue at all those each one is money dude there uh i don't know what page it is but like um yeah the kid is running around new york and i'm starting to see the real fun part of this book like the flip the mirror image or the flip-flop i don't know what exactly to, to to go with the kid is running into heroes but the heroes scare him because they're not who he thought they would be he encounters machine man aaron stack like the kid literally runs into him knocks his sunglasses off Machine Man reaches down and picks up his groceries. They're not groceries. It's a bunch of gears. And he's he's like, oh, no, let me help you, you know? 
and the kid freaks out and runs away because Aaron Stack doesn't have eyeballs. He has gigantic red lenses for eyes. And the same thing happens a minute later with a different character. And, like, it just... He gets rescued by Spider-Man. Spider-Man takes him from the bad guys who are trying to eat him to his own home. Peter Parker. And the kid knows that it's Peter Parker. Why? Because the Daily Bugle somehow or another figured it out and ran an article, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, which he has framed in his own home. So in this reality, he is uh, not... He's I don't know if he's persona non grata, but he is a known quantity. And Mary Jane was killed, and his daughter, May, a little redhead, with spider powers, clearly, because she's hanging from the ceiling. Dude, it's tragic. It's so hard watching Peter Parker be broken like this. He is broken. And May and the little boy are, like, hanging out and visiting and stuff like that, and they're watching TV, and they're seeing the world blame mutant dumb for this. But you know how he was running around in the Green Goblin mask, the kid? At one point or another, he realizes that it would, like, Spider-Man's telling him, you know, hey, I understand why you're wearing that mask, but maybe you could not wear that mask while you're here. Like, that guy's my arch nemesis, and he killed one of my, he killed my girlfriend. And so the kid's, like, really, it's really great frame. Like, he's tearing it up in agony. He's tearing up the mask. And it's, it's honestly, like, it hurts to see that. Because the kid in that moment is realizing that he's inadvertently dishing out discomfort. And he's trying to reconcile that. It was awesome. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock, Daredevil, is having coffee with Peter in the, uh, in the uh, kitchen. I, I don't like doing this. I just I think that it's like a broadcast restriction, but I'm going to read this to everybody. The last frame in this issue... Do it. Do it. It just speaks to me. It totally speaks to me. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to go... I'm going to go... I'm going to read the whole back... Or the whole bottom two panels of this, of this issue. Daredevil talking to Peter. So in answer to your earlier question, I chose you, Peter, to look after the boy, uh, because you've been aware... You've been, you've always been the most human of any of us. You can save David. You'll save us all, regardless of whether there's a cure or not. And that's what's at stake, isn't it? We're not just saving the universe. We're saving the things that make life worth living. That's we're fighting for the things worth dying in each of us to be continued. Dude. That's probably why Alex Ross is doing this in the first place. Exactly. The opportunity. Like, every once in a while you get a book where somebody comes to the crux and they'll single it down to one or two panels or something like that. I took a picture of this panel and I posted it on my Facebook and I was like this is it like that's that's what comics need that's this is comics right here. Alex Ross gets it. He has always got it. He has written done the art for been a creator or a contributor on some of the greatest things ever. Marvels gets it. This gets it. Kingdom Come gets it. The signed Alex Ross print of, <laughs> of Flash Gordon that I have. <laughs> he gets it. If you're not if you're not looking at Alex Ross, I don't know what you're doing in comics. Like get anything Alex Ross. Tonight, today, tomorrow, do it. 
read it, absorb it. And that's it right there. You're 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 not the boss of me. Shut the hell! I am, I am I am I'm I'm a captain in your chain of command. Yes, you, you damn well are, man. It's it's awesome. Uh, it I, I really like how well you put that because that is that's probably why why he's why Alex Ross is doing it is to hammer that point home, bring it home. That's mm. one of the reasons why people love superheroes, and that is something that is unfortunately getting lost um but it, it, is it really getting lost or are people just developing different and are liking different stories it's definitely something from the old days that needs to be respected and learned and always in the forefront of your mind when you're writing a superhero comic book but there's new things to do and i, I really hope he you know people understand why he's doing it i really appreciate you putting it like that when you look at Old comic books, and by that I mean, I don't know, Silver Age, Bronze Age in particular. I mean, the wow factor when you go back to Golden Age. Every time you think, go back and look at any of those books. Submariner, Human Torch, The Spirit, The Angel. When you're looking at those books and the, the civilian population is like, what the heck is going on? Why does that guy fly? Why is that dude on fire? You know, what? It, <laughs> insane. And then get into the Silver Age and they're like, they're seeing Spider-Man or the Fantastic Four or Thor walking amongst them. And they're like, this has got to be some kind of a prank. It's for a movie or it's some kind of stunt to get you to buy some, you know, milk or whatever. And it's like, it's fascinating looking at that time period and seeing creators put into the minds of the populace what it is that, you know, like, why is this so weird? This would totally be weird. But then when you read Bronze Age books and you read current comics uh, that are, you know, the major two, anyways, DC and Marvel, and uh, not necessarily in that order, and it's like, common knowledge it's obvious and everybody knows that there are aliens because of the scrolls and whatever else i mean it's it is a living entity these universes that have expanded and ebbed and flowed with our times and stuff like that i mean it's just interesting seeing how the population responds to these situations and now it's even more funny when you get somebody who is walking away from a superhero incident and they're like, I don't know why I live in New York. This is so stupid. Like, my insurance rates are out of control. Jessica Jones. <laughs> How many times has my apartment been blown up? It's been destroyed. I'm tired of all this goddamn collateral damage. Collateral damage. <laughs> what do you got, man? Uh, well, actually, I want to know about Jessica Jones because, like, you're definitely, oh, leading, yeah. you're definitely leading into that. Tell me more. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Jessica Jones, number three. Kelly Thompson writer, masterful. Really enjoying this. Um, I want to see more work. Uh, Mattia De, De Uis, the artist, crisp, really crisp, really focused, um, very consistent. Um, this business at the beginning of each of the issues since this creative team has started where Jessica is uh, 
in a Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel costume and chained to a chair. I don't see where it's going yet, but I really love the art in those instances. It's uh, kind of hot. Um, Valerio Gian Gordiano, jeez, and Marcio Minez. Oh, I'm so sorry. Cover and uh, variant covers can uh, always uh, kiss the piss of death, right there. So, um, yeah, I'm just sorry, guys. I'm not into into variant covers. The consistent theme of Jessica picking out little bits and pieces of characters she has to deal with in Polaroid is very funny and very well received. I love it. I would like to see that in every Jessica Jones book henceforth. Um, the spoiler at the end of the last issue was that uh, Elsa, Elsa Bloodstone... Okay. Not dead after all. Elsa Bloodstone is the monster hunter. Her father was Bloodstone the monster hunter. And then Elsa is kind of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type character, but with less of a costume to go around and more foul language. And um, that mainly comes from her being utilized in Warren Ellis's Next Wave. Uh, so, uh, which if you haven't read that, dudes, you guys are... It's it's ladies are, it's oh on the Marvel gosh. app. It's on the Marvel Dude, app. It is it is a riot. It is a short read. What's it? Two graphic novels long. It's two. It's twelve issues. It's hilarious. It is the reason why we constantly don't have Machine Man being taken seriously, um, which is a tragedy. A tragedy. Machine Man should be the tragic hero of the Marvel universe. Uh, just don't get me started. But the point is, Elsa Bloodstone, she was shot in the head and killed in the previous issue. And he, there she was in the last panel, still alive. Jessica encounters her. And they they have that moment where they're like, okay, well, are you to, do, to blame for this? No, obviously not. Okay, cool. Let's come to terms with it. And then they're like, well, um, they kind of decide that they like one another. Like, they could get along and they could team up and have fun doing each other's jobs uh jessica gets invited to go on a monster hunt and apparently elsa is attacking some sea monsters who are climbing out of the ocean right now and uh, <laughs> jessica's just like i don't want to get involved with that i'm trying to do detective work elsa's like hey look you can ask me while i'm fighting monsters and i'll answer you but I can't just stop fighting monsters because somebody shot me in the head. I came back to life, or I never died, or I don't know what the hell happened. So we still don't know what's going on. This is a definitely another step in the process. Okay. But, it, dude, it was so fun. It, this was the most fun book I read this week. Uh, God, I mean, like, in and, in and of itself, additionally, when Jessica finally figures out a little bit more about what's going on, uh, Monica Rambo comes back to uh, give her a hard time at her office, and she's just like, "No, I'm taking what I just figured out, stuffing it in my pocket, and flying away." And you're just like, <laughs> "I guess if you're not following the uh, chain of, not necessarily the chain of command, but um, going to the authorities, there you have it. If you've got the ability to fly away, why don't you go ahead and do it?" Um, not to mention a cool club scene. Whole lot of Q and A, 
Lots of really good colors. Club scene? I, that's the beauty of this book, is the colors are awesome. Sometimes it's really muted. Sometimes it's like, okay, hey, here's reds and blues. Here's pinks. Here's, uh, here's a computer screen. And you just know instantly she's sitting at a computer screen because of the kind of blue wash that they're using over her and the way that it reads in the shiny part of her hair where it's being reflected like the detail is really good here i mean if you're it, but the story the artwork there's so much to love like if you like the tv series if you don't like the tv series i'm going to say Maybe pick up just this issue. You're going to get the vibe of this creative team right away. And if you like it, go back and get the rest of them. And read this one from the beginning. You don't have to have everything else. And at the very least, this isn't the drunk, pissed off, uh, slutty version of Jessica Jones. This is straight up like, I'm trying to solve a case and it's totally wacky. There's a million ways that they can screw this up. Like bringing in Luke Cage for them to fight? Yeah, there will be a big fight at the end and Ms. Marvel will come in or Captain Marvel as it were or everybody will come save the day because she can't do it by herself. It just seems like it's the class reunion every freaking time uh, anything goes sideways in Jessica Jones. Please, just by the end of this, let her solve it. Let her solve it. Let her bring it to justice. Let it clean up her reputation let it begin a whole new chapter in her life where she is, okay, hey, you know, we still think you're shit, but we know you're capable, we know you're legit, you know? And uh, I don't know, I just, I just want to see some growth here. Let's go into that conversation you and I were having earlier today. Good. What good is call. worth, yeah, what is worth reading anymore? Okay, that's... Where uh, does it go? That's, What's the point? I'm... I'm, I'm... First thing, I w- I'm going to make a list of it so we- so it looks good on a post. I'm going to say... I don't want to say groundbreaking artwork. I want to say challenging. Challenging, mm-hmm. different, detailed, <clears throat> and exceptional artwork. But that has to be put into perspective. Uh, for example, I've said it before, when I was a kid reading uh, uh, Charlie Adler doing X-Files, I'm like, this is, this is ugly. And then when I, you know, eventually realized how well he was doing lights and blacks and washes and grays, that there's exceptional form and quality to his work, despite the fact that it didn't exactly look like Mulder like I wanted it to. But that I was a kid. Oh, um, yeah. I, I would say challenging, different, detailed, and exceptional artwork. I dig that. Okay. I think that, I mean, yes, there's that. Also... I think to me, there is propellant storyline of the character, the story arc. I want to see, I don't want to, I just don't want to see a bunch of like pot boiler issues. You guys know, you know, you understand what that means? Pot boiler? Uh, For anybody who doesn't, you get an author who does something cool and they make it big, and they make some money, and then everybody's expecting more work from them, and they do something else cool, and they do something else, and it's, oh, wow, and they're big, and then they get they do something else, and it's like, yeah, that wasn't so good. Yeah. And it's just like, the concept is, you're putting something on the, on the back of the stove, and you're just letting it boil, 
well, yeah, there's some kind of progress there, but what does it ultimately end up doing for anybody? So, um, I mean, so many books that we read, it's just like, okay, well, this isn't going anywhere. and This isn't going to be, this doesn't change anything for this character. There's no lasting impact, you know? I feel like sometimes we shoot, we see these guys, these creative teams shoot and hit the mark so hard that they're trying to split the arrow of the previous writers. Okay. You know, you go back and you, let's say, okay, ben, I go back to this all the time, Bendis and Malieve. Bendis and Malieve writing Moon Knight in L.A. a few years ago. Well, you can't... How can you screw that up? You can't. It was awesome. And then, like, okay, cool. We did a legendary run on Daredevil. They were just doing Moon Knight now. And then now we're going to go in and we're going to do um, Jessica Jones and do the same... You know, albeit a different artist. But, like, you're going to do... Jessica Jones and the same Jessica Jones and it's the same Jessica Jones and it's like uh at a certain point it's like yeah okay let Kelly Thompson do it because you're off doing DC stuff which is fine but like yeah I I see this I hope this defies the trope it propels it in the end it's like what else are we reading that's not doing anything for the character Ooh, um... is Spider-Man working right now in a way, but it's more of they're 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 really more developing the side characters for a bigger storyline, especially with JJ and all of Spidey's friends that know who he is. Um, they're definitely doing something with the Immortal Hulk, where they're turning it back into a horror comic. They're uh, they're going far and deep and exploring many different genres. Um, it's one of the best comics on on the shelf right now, as opposed to another issue of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers meets. <laughs> Ninja Turtles. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... I, I don't give a shit. Uh, however, I do have to uh, add into the fact that I felt the same way about Teenage Mutant Turtles meet Batman or Ghostbusters. Those were awesome. Those were phenomenal. Every single one of them. One, two, three. They, they do it in many different ways. The artwork, okay, did a good job. <laughs> they, they, they did a good job. Uh, I want to say uh, challenging to enjoy or to... Like, right, you see it, like, you judge a book by its cover. I dig it. Let's do it. Like, let's buy it. Or... Yeah, it's true. Or you, That's the way comics work. Or you challenge yourself to pick up something you wouldn't normally pick up and be more than, or pleasantly, or more than pleasantly surprised about how you took a chance on a Dark Horse book or a book, or a Valiant book, or IDW book, or an Archie book. I mean, because, um, like, uh, okay, so the, uh... Archie Afterlife books. Kick ass. Uh, people, like, really? I, saw, I saw people shitting on that. <laughs> uh, you made a mistake. Uh, same thing with... The, <laughs> big mistake. Uh, same thing with especially um, Flintstones, DC Comics, four years ago. If you didn't read that, you fucked up. And that was because you judged a book by its cover. And you didn't look in for the details. The writer, the artist, you saw who the writer was. Uh, wrote Uncle Sam. Maybe I should spend three dollars on this. Yeah. And and that's that's another thing we want to rein it in on is whether or not it's worth your three, four, or five dollars. That's that's the point. Like when it you know okay like 
I want to segue from this into Iron Man 2020 because I know of you, you've got issues of course. with that one. And of course. To this point, I haven't read it. I, I like. I'm not into the artwork. I don't think that they're doing the 2020 concept justice. Um, I don't like their interpretation of Machine Man. Uh, I don't know why we're reading Iron Man right now if Iron Man isn't Iron Man anymore. Like even even us as readers don't know where Iron Man is. He's either like uh, eight millennia in the past, and the Avengers still haven't got around to looking for him, or he's the clone, or he's the bastard brother from space future, um, or he's uh, a hologram. I mean, that's There's the a- thing that pisses me off. We spent all that time with Mil- the, you. You're going to go in and you're going to do something that changes something. Bendis and Malieve writing International Iron Man. Why? Why? Why do we need to recreate who Iron Man's mother is? And then we're saying she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? And an international pop star? She's an elderly international pop star, former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? I don't have a lot to say about that, but fuck off. Like, it it was an impactful story. There were some cool things that happened in it. His armor was interesting. He cloaked the, his his first love, who we had never seen again and never heard of before. Like, okay, well, that's a bunch of stuff. It's just like at a certain point, you're just like, hey, here's something for somebody else to play with someday. Give me my $2,000 per issue. Right. And it's like, what are we doing? And then, the, you know, you've got these guys who are writing Iron Man right now, and they have to pay attention to the fact that this woman is his mother and that Andy Bang has a crush on her. Uh, and it's just like, okay, well, that that, that feeds something that gives them a storyline, but somehow or another, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't work. I bought it. I paid for all of it. Uh, I read it. I think we reported on it sometime last year. And then it's like, okay, well, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, any book. Any book. It doesn't matter. Like, is it, is it doing anything? Or is it just existing? You know? So... Ooh, that's a good that's, point. That's is it concern? just existing? That is... And we've got to bring this up. Okay, so... You can... I, I remember thinking about whether or not every book should be canon. Uh, maybe not because there's some storylines that are not canon <laughs> that are yeah. absolutely phenomenal and that need to be explored, need to be studied. For example, Age of Ultron, the before the movie came out, that 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 comic out of this world that was so good. Is is Silver Surfer Black canon? I sure as hell hope so because they're they're integrating. It would seem to be. They're they're, they're trying to integrate it. But I'm worried that they're going to get scared and pull a plug and change it because someone can't can't follow up on it. Um, or, or you can talk about a Elseworlds comic that I got I brought it up before, uh, where the, uh, Superman was found by the Waynes. It, it was a one issue thing. It was like three four bucks, which was probably expensive as hell back in 1992 or three. Um, obviously, but yeah. those impacted me. What what bothers me is when a comic book just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. In, in any way, shape, or form, 
even even if it's like part like I remember like during Dark Rain, one of my favorite Dark Rain uh, uh, split off comics, because I think I almost have the entirety of Dark Rain if I'm not mistaken, because I was obsessed. Uh, That's a good book. Yeah, the I'm not just talking about everything leading. In, I, I've got ever I know for sure I've got every single book of Siege, not just the main series, uh, every little offshoot. Uh, during Dark Rain, where it starts with the Cabal and. Okay, there were some things that didn't didn't make sense, but there was a, a three or four issue series called Zodiac where this guy's got a bag over like a, a, a an executioner's bag over his head. He's got a chain. He's in a suit. The artwork was zany to say the least, but they didn't do anything with it. And then they barely did anything with the hood. Um, I spent money on that. I wanted something good to come out of that, but it, they they haven't done anything with Zodiac. Um, they've done a few things with the hood, but. Man, it's I guess you know maybe we're just overthinking it because there's things like where you're for certain that this wrestler is gonna make you a million dollars and then he has a, a panic attack right before his uh, his uh, main roster debut like EC3 and next thing you know <laughs> next thing you know you're done with him. So I guess there's that. Are you guys experiencing a fire? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> is that what's going on? There's a fire. Casey and Jack. Yeah. No more fire. We're we're safe. No, that got handled. We're safe. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, we're 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 basically complaining about the nature of nonsense books. Yeah. Like it is yeah, are we merely existing or are we trying to propel the story of this character? Are we trying to propel the medium by being experimental or pushing the envelope with uh, backgrounds or colors or right. whatever. Because you don't know I if mean, it's going to be money or not. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is like, put your heart into it. Like, if, if Marvel, if you're greenlighting anything, or DC or whatever, um, if you're greenlighting something, go into it expecting it to be canon. Because there's some Oh, things, God. Yeah, that's the word right there. Th- there's some things that didn't make the cut. Okay, that's fine. But there's some things that didn't make the cut that the first page you're like, man, this shit <laughs> like, oh yeah, th- this is shit. I just wasted five bucks. Um, not that we're cheap, but like, goddamn, comics are expensive. We spent a lot of money on that shit. And uh, respect my dollar. Respect me as a as uh, either a smart mark or a writer or just some dude that needs an escape or just loves to collect comics or I just like the variant covers. It doesn't matter. Respect me, goddamn it, because. <laughs> Yeah, so we can keep buying your stuff. Yeah, your material. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. That's what it comes down mm. to. Mm. Respect my bottom dollar. Mm. What else? What's what, what? What's your next book? All right, I wanna... Mar- Mar- you want to? Do you want to do Iron Man twenty twenty, or do you want to say let's, this uh... is exactly the thing that's uh, burning us right here? No, let's do Iron Man twenty twenty because this is one. Like one of the great things I'm, th- I'm having so much fun about talking about this is the fact that while we're talking about this, our, our, our prejudices have become exposed to us while we're talking about it, and we're able to figure it out and not sound like a bunch of judgmental assholes, uh, which is something that's very important. You can't just be so rigid about it. Like when we were doing Picard, and I'm like, oh, I'll never, ever like a Romulan. Uh, now I like a few. <laughs> and and um, yeah, you just make yourself sound angry, and we're, we're talking about what makes a good comic. And while we're flushing it out, I'm like, no, it's not just... It Just respect me and go into it as canon and don't just put it out to put it out there. Because when you put it out there to put it out there, you're, you're hurting everybody. You're hurting the trees you're planting on. 
You're hurting the money that could have been invested in something else. You're hurting the artist that could have been challenged to do something better. You're hurting us as when we could have been spending that 20, 15 minutes reading comics. Um, reading something better. And why would you even put it out there if, if you didn't expect for it to flourish? Because sometimes that happens. And the, the perfect way to talk about that is with the new Iron Man 2020, uh, issue two. Uh, writers Dan Slott and Christos Gage. Artist Pete Woods. Letter of VCs Joe Caramanga. Cover Pete Woods. Variant covers Ron Lim. And I don't really care too much about variant covers. Okay, so... There's a, the, the robots are on the uprise. We've got Tony Stark, the original Tony Stark, and then Mark I, who is, comes up with a great idea of how to infiltrate... Uh, what's his brother's name again? It's on the tip of my tongue. Arno Stark. Arno Stark's... Uh, God, his, his mainframe, everything. Because there's a, 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 a deep throat that's coming into them like, Hey, can't tell you who I am, but guess what? They just developed something they're going to upload to the cloud. Half you guys are, like, reliant on the cloud. And once, if you're on the cloud at all, it's going to, like, pretty much just reprogram you to do whatever they want you to do. And they come up, they hatch this scheme, and I'm like, okay, obviously the Deep Throat is Arno. Obviously this is a, this is bullshit. And yeah, it plays out like that. Like, they, they, they have this awesome scheme, and like right away they, they start plotting what they're going to do, and they start executing it. So it's not something that, like, takes four or five issues for it to, to unfold it happens rather quickly and arno is playing chess and like oh yeah by the way there is no actual you know all destructive thing uh that will make you do what i tell you to you guys did exactly what i told you you fell into the you fell into the trap i wanted you to fall into and uh the whole time machine man is at the next building across the street just waiting for anything that would be in any way uh detrimental to their success for the mission and but of course Arno's playing chess, and uh, <laughs> Machine Man's uh, wife, who's been brainwashed, is trekking along. Yeah, she's coming along in this little hovercraft, and he's like, "Well, th- I'm sure they're fine. I'm gonna go <laughs> check her out." And then Arno's like, "You know, he's revealing his master plan." Yeah, I I removed all the chess pieces from the board, and I I pause, and I'm like, "Man, from the beginning, I'm thinking this is gonna happen. This is gonna happen." This is going to happen. It happened. It happened. It happened. And then I reach a point where I'm like, wait a minute. We've got a couple options here. Either someone's being lazy as a writer. and Or, because there's a, a, a like maybe 15 more comics in this 2020 line. Or they are showing us what we expect to see. And issue three is going to be a complete roundabout. And send us in like... It, not left to right in a completely different direction, and I absolutely believe that that's what's going to happen because it's Dan Slott. Remember when uh, he decided he was going to yeah. kill Peter Parker? Everyone's like, "To hell with him! How dare he kill Spider Man?" And then someone online said, uh, "Biggest, he's the biggest Spider Man fan in the world. Why don't you give him a chance to flesh this out?" And everyone was like, well, "I don't know, uh, maybe." And then everyone, you know, the uh, superior <laughs> Spider Man breaks all these records. And next thing you know, Superior Spider-Man is one of the superior Spider-Man stories that have ever been written. All because you took the chance on Dan Slott. And he did that same thing. Like, oh, great. He's going to start out this, like, big epic run. Well, I mean, he'd already been had the helm for quite a long time. But even then, you're going to do this big epic run of Spider-Man, and you're going to do that cash grab where you kill Spider-Man? Fuck you. Oh, yeah. Uh, but 
after she won in maybe one and a half, you're like, wait a minute. I don't think what's going to happen, like, the traditional way where we kill someone off and eventually in a year and they tease it and they tease it and they tease it and they tease it and a year they come back. Um, I don't think that's going to happen here. I think he's, I think he's having some fun. I, I think he, I think he hates what I hate and he's taking those things and shitting all over it and making everyone enjoy every little bit, even the part that they're uncomfortable reading. Because I guarantee you after this, because it's Dan Slot, I've got, yeah. I, well, I don't guarantee you I have faith. That's nice. I have faith that this Iron Man 2020, if Dan Slot is hel- uh, helming this, he's the captain. By all means, Captain. Um, There's a payoff. There's there. I I think probably issue three is going to be the payoff for having to suffer through, through issue two. I think every single issue is going to be a payoff, other than this one, to to throw us in that little bit of a a, a tizzy. Nice. And from that, because we're getting good stories and we're getting teased with good stories, need some water. I got all this. I've been bad dry mouth today. Dude, yeah, I have been, yeah, since the, you know, the the uh, heater's blowing all the time, everything's dry. I'm going to get up and grab one. Go for it. I'm going to start talking about the Flash while you're doing that. Uh, flash number 88. Uh, we are talking Flash Age Prelude Paradox. Got my water. Joshua Williamson, <laughs> writer. Howard Porter, artist. Hi-Fi Colors. Steve Wands, letterer. Porter and Hi-Fi Cover. I've been you and I've been bitching at length's end for the past couple months. Give me a new baddie. Yeah. And we got paradox in this. And remember how up in arms I was about how good uh Flash Year One was about like six months ago? Yes. Uh it, they just they're, they're they're doing a superior job with this. Because they finished Flash Year One, they showed, you know, the the, the time paradox that happened. There was a big problem with that uh that mole guy or whatever the hell he was. And, um, <laughs> it wasn't Captain Cold, but, uh, they just wrapped up a great story in Flash. But at the same time, though, that paradox story, an innocent scientist got sucked, that got sucked into, uh, the vestiges of what the Speed Force leaves behind for other people to suffer. And that is the main point of this bad guy. What? The, these, That's convoluted. When, when Flash is nonchalantly going back and forth in time. We need to think about collateral damage. This guy was already investigating the Speed Force and was separated from his family and put into this... He was marooned in like almost like a, uh, a purgatory of worlds that had to do with how the Speed Force is one of the forces that keeps the multiverse... And this is one of the best parts about it is like for those that don't understand DC right now is the idea of a multiverse. And it's not like there's like all these bubbles of universes around us that may or may not connect or anything like that. We're all existing at the same time in the same amount of space. However, we're all existing at different vibrations. And the speed force is keeping the vibrations separate so all these separate multiverses can exist at the same time. And also... Uh, time is relative, but going back and forth like that is very irresponsible, and there's a, there's a purgatory. And this poor scientist gets trapped in that. He tries to figure out a way to do this. Uh, he's, he's almost like in an icy hell, and other people that were sent to the same purgatory as him, uh, when uh, the Flash was fixing the paradox of uh, year one from a couple months ago, 
um, they got trapped there, and he eventually used their life essence and all of the, the, um, the marooned other um, alien aliens that left their technology there to create a way to mess with the vibrations and to okay and to what he's doing is he's he feels that the flash is one of the is actually the the villain of the of all the multiverses because of his irresponsibility of fucking with the time stream and all right all right the 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 problem is because he was in this purgatory so long and they've been studying it so long as well that he understood it to the point that anytime there's any sort of time shift, it causes him great pain, and he's done with it. Like he he's a victim, but he's also not someone that's blaming Flash. Like uh, you, you know, you killed my mom and dad, and now I have to become Batman. No, this is something a person that is legitimately going through great pain at all times. Anytime there's a time shift, also the fact that when the one time he was able to see his family, he'd been in that purgatory for so long, he he'd already mutated in, into more of a monster, not like mutagen man type monster, but he definitely got bigger and bigger. And the, the way you, you know how like Doomsday, with every punch that Superman landed on him, Doomsday like got a little bit more craggier, and his, the the protrusions from his skin, like that bone, got bigger. Imagine something like that, but every time it was only caused by time fluctuations with people messing with the speed force. We've got oh, okay, yeah, that makes some sense. We've got a great new bad guy, and it all ties into year one where he was already uh, a kid, you know, captured and in a jail, and the reverberations of of the paradox that was created uh, eventually freed him, and now he's going back and forth, and he is, I mean, he's seen everything. He's seen in the future where Reverse Flash. Uh, is part of Flash's quote unquote some sort of Justice League where it's all Flash type people. But he the Flash had done so well throughout time that even people like Captain Cold are standing by his side to to fight beside him as part of his team. And Paradox isn't having it. He, he feels that the Flash and it ends it, it ends when he encounters uh, someone that's been monitoring the Speed Force uh, that he tells him flat out then the multiverse we'll see the Flash for what he really, truly is, a monster. Great costume, great development. We didn't have to wait 12 years for us to, or, or 12 months to figure out uh, his origin. They gave us a kick-ass origin story. Boom, right off the bat. Great artwork, great storytelling, absolutely flowed. Not one inch of space was misused to tell the story of Paradox. And he's a black man. But did they do it because they needed to make another black guy? Didn't feel that for a second. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we need another, we need right, another black cool. guy or, or another Mexican or, or someone that looks vaguely Muslim or brown or, or because we got to pander to people. Not in the least bit. I, I Like, the absolute, legit writer, his feelings of how he wrote it, none of it was, was in any way pandering or talking down to us. And now we've got a great new bad guy, and I can't freaking wait to see what's going to happen because... Each page was great, and uh, I remember describing to a friend at work the other day. And like, what's what's weird about DC is even the even the throwaway comics that aren't in, that don't end up being canon, like we were uh, complaining about a minute ago. The artwork's great, but why isn't it? Why wouldn't it not be great? Jim Lee is your boss. <laughs> he's not going to stand. Yeah, for, right. He's not going to stand for no bush league art, not in the least bit. Yeah. But that's that's what I got for that, guys. 
I finally got what I've been asking for for probably about two years is a great new baddie that, and we've got some, you know, we've had some new bad guys in the, in the past couple of years, but this one, this one I've got my money on. Like when, uh, the first time I saw Kevin Owens, um, <laughs> Kevin Steen, I, my money's on this pony. What do you got next, brother? Just Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy. Let's see here. Uh, the Adam Hughes cover, gorgeous. Um, if you don't know Adam Hughes off the top of your head, you have seen his work in the past. Luscious, beautiful work. Lots of lots of color, lots of interesting backgrounds and washes and stuff like that because they are uh, they're more decorative than they are specific. They're like they're they're not exactly portraits, but they are uh, they're moments in the characters' time and lives. Okay, and so uh, so there's that, and then there's it's very digital. Um, it's definitely digital work, but also his signature is an A-H exclamation point. So you'll see something and it'll go, ah! And that's kind of, it's, it's style, it's attitude. There's a lot going on there. Um, why did I pick this book up? A, it's Gwen Stacy. I love Gwen Stacy. I love that character. B, I'm not into Ghost Spider. I'm not into... Spider Gwen, I'm not in it. All this or, Gwen or, media or, that's or been Gwen, going on. Or Gwenpool, or, oh God. None of that. I hate all of it. Um, I read this book, and I was not thinking about Emma Stone or Bryce Dallas Howard. I was just thinking about Gwen Stacy, and that was great. Um, this is a Christos Gage book. Todd Nauk is the artist. Rochelle Rosenberg is the colorist. And VCs. Joe Caramagna. Uh, Adam Hughes also does the cover for the next book, and the next book looks awesome because of it, uh, as portrayed by the, um, you know, coming up on the next issue page at the back. Um, I really appreciate that there's a font, a title font for her name, just like when you would open up an X-Men book in the 90s and it would be like Colossus, and it was stylized for Colossus. You know, Professor X, Marvel Girl, they all have their own title font. Gwen Stacy has a nice title font. It's a little bit uh, Roaring Twenties, but it's also a little bit like Neo Roaring Twenties, so it's Seventies, which makes sense because whether or not she is a Sixties Inception character, she is grown out of the Seventies. Okay. Um... So, what I'm getting at, blah, blah, blah. Uh, was this a romance comic that you were just suckered into? No, it totally wasn't. Um, this is essentially, as portrayed by the, by the what am I going to call it, the letters page, but the, um, uh, oh, there's a bunch of BS at the end, too. Nick Lowe. Wrote a page at the end of the story detailing why they decided to do this, how they did it, where it fits into the Marvel chronology. When you're talking, like you did earlier, about the idea of every book being canon and where it fits in with this character's lives, they wrote in here, this is where this book would go and where this series would fit in. 
So, they say we've got huge plans to uh, dance around Amazing Spider-Man issues twenty-three through thirty in the rest of Marvel Comics at that time. This book takes place after Gwen's first appearance in Spider-Man thirty-one, Amazing Spider-Man thirty-one, and uh, basically fills in little gaps about what her life is and what it was like um, in between the pages of what happens to her in Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. So she's at high school, being drawn in a very Mark Bagley fashion, running for class president, being picked on by jocks who are also running for office, and uh, dating a black guy in the 60s, which is... Unheard of in a comic book? Yeah, well, in the 60s. Yes? Yeah. Um, what's more, uh, she is in, She is being followed by the Enforcers. So if you read early Amazing Spider-Man books, you realize that the gang that's running the streets is the Enforcers. It's Montana, Fancy Dan, and uh, Ox. And they are... They're just some recurring villains in Spider-Man books. They're ne- they never add up to anything. And we never know what happens to them. Do they go to prison forever? Or are any of them killed? I don't really know. Like The opportunity to bring them back at a given moment is there. Um, Gwen is doting on her father, Captain Stacy, who just transferred to this particular department in the New York PD. Um, and uh, it's a little sappy as hell. Like, at a certain point, I'm like, come on. You're, you're a scholarship student. You're studying all the time. You're running for class president. You're taking care of your dad. Where do you stop? How can you be so boundlessly full of energy? And the thing is, we got this daffy-ass sequence in here where she's <coughs> iterating to her father what the what the gang that he's trying to track down like their next movements would be and who would be in charge filling a power vacuum and blah 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 and i'm like come on she's 17 at best she's 15 she's got to be 15 and she doesn't have the years of criminology or the police school or i don't know what they call you know she just doesn't have a degree in any of this stuff and I don't care how good Captain Stacy is and how much he invested time in his daughter after his wife's death, making her into a probable future cop detective. I mean, because we don't get this out of any of the other stuff in ASM way back. And I know they weren't planning for this. It's just, I can take that Gwen is the intelligent girl on campus because that's all they had to say. And it's, she looks prim. She looks proper. It makes sense. I, I don't need to see her, like, iterating the entire probability of what's going to happen next with this, like, you know, den of thieves and stuff. Right. Helping her dad figure things out. But it's cool because she arrives at the same conclusions he already had. So I was like, okay, cool. This isn't a book where Captain Stacy comes off looking like a doofus. Uh, being shown up by his teenage daughter. So we get into this whole business where Captain Stacy goes to deal with an informant and he gets shot 
And we suddenly see for the first time why his leg was injured and all of those issues and why he's on a cane. That's awesome. And that has its moments. And then what's more, uh, his partner's coming in and telling him, you know, you're going to have to lay off because you can fight this and it can go really, really bad or you can accept this and retire and you're going to be okay. But if you accept this and do this you're going to come off like blah 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 and then maybe they're going to arrest you we don't know it's this whole business of how his informant got killed and they're way they're they're trying to pressure captain stacy by threatening his daughter so you know that's 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 tough that's a really hard that's a really hard place to be in when you're a cop who has a reputation for busting the bad guys simultaneously we get like on the last page green goblin is flying around so that'll be harry osborne norman osborne rather harry is her campaign manager and uh we don't see even see peter parker except for in a uh foreground background type of thing uh where he's reading a book yeah clearly hasn't been bit by the spider yet so the opportunity presents itself for this to be a really great literally filler issue as opposed to like blah 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 we don't care about this it's a filler <clears throat> and um the letter page gabbing with gwen explains where it all comes from i like it it makes sense i appreciate it then there's a bunch of nonsense at the back of the issue because the story is only so many pages long that they decided to do like multiple artist collaborative collaborations and stuff and making fun of the agwengers and all of these Gwen-related characters that are popping up and everything. Uh, you know, and then there's like a cutout thing. Like when you were really little in the 80s uh, and earlier in the 50s and 60s, you'd make paper dolls. So you they've got it set up to where you can cut out her outfits and cut out a Gwen and then like put her in these different outfits and stuff. Nobody's going to do that. I remember Nobody's those. Those were cool. <laughs> they are cool. Really good if you print those outfits out on cardstock, like like color forms or or man, that was like that's just so old school. Like I remember, um, yeah, I was describing to my homegirl Melissa what a Kinder Egg was, and I remember getting my dad would always buy those for me in England, and he'd always buy me a couple packs of stickers for my Thundercat sticker book, and Panini by Panini by Panini, yes, dude, yeah, I I had maybe six stickers from that entire thing ever. Wow! From Thundercats, I I, I almost yeah. I almost completed that Thundercat book, but we no way. Oh, dude, my dad took me to it. There was like every time he it was like every two weeks he go he take me to get my hair cut, and there was like a like a legit sweet shop, and he'd buy me a Kinder Egg and a couple of packs of uh, of Thundercat stickers. I mean, like God, I mean, like I thought oh I thought God, he was ri- I thought he was rich as hell and just the coolest dad ever and he and and, and, <laughs> and and yes he's the coolest dad ever but at the same time though um I mean really he probably only spent like three bucks <laughs> like 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 maybe. maybe two and uh but like just filling a book up with stickers like like you're buying a book with all these holes that you're challenged to spend money to fill <laughs> yeah, and it's not like you're, and you could end up with the same, yeah, fifteen stickers of Tigra's Bolo Whip. You know, didn't matter stickers. That's all. <laughs> but I like that you brought up with the 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 cutout the cutout of forms that give her a, a new cloak. You know, like her clothes and stuff like that. I remember doing that, man. 
Yeah. But uh, that's all I got for this week for Minefields. What do you got? Anything else? No, that's my. That's it. Yeah, those are my books. I'm looking forward to the next issue of Gwen. I like the cover. Um, I don't know. It's I don't have a Marvel previews in front of me. Like I don't know what's farther down the road. But like I like I say, I'm disappointed that 2012 isn't what we were hoping for. I honestly would have appreciated a different artist on 2020. Did I say 2012? Man, shoot me in the head. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean. If anything, 2012 is when we should all have died in a giant super volcano. <laughs> uh, but uh, somehow we're still here on this freaking planet um, buying comics that some of which are awesome and some aren't so great. So we're gonna what, I'm just, what we're gonna start doing is compiling reasons why you should buy a comic book or or what yeah. or what makes a good comic. We got like five good points. We're just gonna publish the list when we're done. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, you know, let's throw down real quick. You know, you're talking about intuitive artwork, colors and washes, inks. Uh, I am going to say that, like, consistent propellant of the character narrative. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to say material that is worth being paid attention by the following creative team. I'm not saying you got to reintroduce Tony Stark's mother every 25 issues. I'm just saying, like, you know, force the issue. Make these things make an impact. Uh, trailblaze. I don't know. I agree. What else do you got? That's all I got, man. Uh, I guess I'm going to head us out, man. This uh, transmission is ending. And thanks for joining the Minefields. Give us an email over at Colin and Josh at minefieldscomicspodcast.com. Uh, we'll answer <laughs> any other questions you got. Uh, give us a ring. We're at Minefields P at Minefields P at, at Twitter uh, and Instagram Minefields Comic Podcast. Um, Minefields Comic Podcast on uh, on Facebook. And we're not on that stupid shit like TikTok or Snap Snapchat. No, no, that's for that's for children. So that could be done. It could be done. But I'm not doing it. You can handle those ones because I ain't doing it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm probably gonna start doing social media stuff for the shop I'm working in. Dude, uh, Panini Thundercat stuff is all over eBay. You can get a ten dollar pre owned book. You can get a twenty dollar pre owned book. No stickers. No posters. 1986, man. I'm gonna. Yeah, it's four years. I'm old. not. I, I don't know why we need to do this, but uh, I'm gonna suggest that Toy Galaxy does sticker books. Dan, Dan Larson, Toy Galaxy, do you hear me? <laughs> yeah. If, if I get an email from them, uh, that would uh, brighten my day. Anyway, all right. Good luck, everybody. Have a good week. Uh, we'll talk to you again really, really soon. Yeah. This, Over and out. This is dangerous. Bye.